So welcome back everyone. If it works to have your your video on, it's nice to see people as I speak. So if that works for you, that'd be great. If you have a, a bandwidth issue, it's understandable. So I want to start first with a question for reflection for everyone. That question is this. What helps your sense of practice come alive? That could be your formal practice, your practice in everyday life. What helps your practice come alive? Just reflect for a minute or so. Another way to ask the question is, what helps you feel like you're learning? Really learning deeply or learning significantly in your practice. So I'll come back to that question on an individual level, looking for finding ways to identify how our practice might feel most alive and in which we might engage in learning. And I'm going to connect that theme with um, a traditional theme, which is that of uh, what are called the, dar the Dharma doors or the Dharma gates. And I'm continuing in a way from what we've looked at the last few sessions when I've been present, which is looking at the theme of awakening. We've had several sessions looking at awakening. Last time we looked at the Seven Factors of Awakening, a very uh, central teaching from the, from the Buddha, and one very relevant in a way for the question I asked, what helps one's practice come alive? And I'm going to bring in uh, the notion of Dharma gates or Dharma doors. You know, what helps us, as it were, move through the door to greater learning. What opens up, another way to say it, what opens up our practice, our learning? And, you know, just to give a preview of how I'll explore it, it could be a particular teaching, it could be a person, it could be a particular focus, like I'll really focus on how I talk to people. And that really brings about a kind of learning, or I'll focus on in my formal practice, I'll really focus on developing more stability or concentration. Could be any number of things. In fact, in the, um, I think in the, some of the uh, Mahayana teachings, it's said that there are 84,000 Dharma doorways. So there's considerable choice. I don't know if there's a website these days, we'd have a website which would list all 84,000, and you could go, okay, I'll take, I'll take these three, right? Something like that. But uh, it's, it's a lot, 84,000 doorways, 84,000 ways we can deepen our practice. So um, that's what we'll explore. And the, another, uh, another line in the, uh, this comes from Zen, from the, from the vows that one takes, Dharma gates are boundless. I vow to enter them. Or we could say Dharma doors are, are boundless. And 
when I was doing a little bit of uh, reflection and even research for the talk, I looked up Dharmador on Google. And apparently there's, as you might expect, there's a company called Dharma Doors, <laughs> which sells doors. <laughs> so, uh, but it's, it's an interesting teaching. And I was thinking of, you know, what is, what is the metaphor of a Dharma door at Psyche or a Dharma gateway at Psyche, Dharma doorway at Psyche? What is the entrance that brings us into, let's say, greater learning or more aliveness for our practice? What, what does that mean? And, and of course, in our lives, we may have one major doorway for now. For now, my doorway is, I don't know, regular practice every day. That really helps. That's my main focus. Or, and then maybe later, it might be really working with a wisdom teaching. I'm really going to focus on um, what causes me to, my mind to contract or, or get stuck or whatever. Work with the teachings about dukkha or reactivity or suffering. And so there can be many doorways. And I was thinking with this, you know, another image that was coming to mind. I don't, I don't think this is traditional, but it, it's of this, we keep on going into, you know, a, a doorway. We keep on entering. It's almost like we're in this immense house that has endless doorways, that has 84,000 doorways. And we keep on going, looking for the secret chamber, right? Or, you know, it's, uh, have, I was having an image like that, uh, you know, or uh, we're, we're going into more and more hidden rooms, you know, and I, I kind of like the image because it's, I know in, in dreams, the sense of the home is often a metaphor for ourself, right? So the house is sometimes a metaphor for the self. So this house that is mysterious, we keep on going through these doorways into more expansive rooms in which we have more freedom and joy. And it, we finally, maybe we finally get to the, the last hidden room and it actually turns out to open up completely to the world. I don't know. I'm, I'm being a little spontaneous here, but because uh, I'm not sure that there is, a, you know, an image that goes with the notion of the 84,000 uh, doorways. And so it's really a question of what, what brings our, our practice alive, the sense of, of doorways. And there, one of the teachings that came from that period, particularly, I think this was a teaching in uh, China, one teaching from the 6th century. Uh, it's called the Six Subtle Dharma Doors. And this is a teaching that the well-known teacher Thich Nhat Hanh has actually taught. He said there are, six, there are six subtle Dharma doors, you know, and this is just to give an example of some of what this is getting at. He said, the first is maybe what we do at the beginning. It's counting the breath, just getting a little bit of stability. And then the second Dharma door is following the breath. We get a little more stability. We can stay with the breath. The third is uh, the mind uh, concentrating getting more concentrating. This is called, like some of the mental activity comes to a stop. This is the third Dharma door in this model. Then on that basis, the fourth is called contemplating or seeing. We, we manifest wisdom on the basis of the stability of mind, very similar to the very basic instructions I gave in, in the meditation. And then the fifth Dharma door, we're getting more profound here, the fifth Dharma door in this sixth century model from, from China um, is returning to the source of the mind and heart, right? So it's going deeply into our being. And the sixth is refining, going beyond the concepts of subject and object, going into more of a sense of vast interconnection. That can give you an example. So that, that model uh, is sequential. So one starts... The, the first Dharma door is where it's easier, maybe what we do at the beginning. And as we go through those six doors, they get progressively deeper, more refined. 
take us to deeper levels. So that's one, I'll come back to that. That's one way to work with this. And I thought I'd, uh, I wrote a poem uh, about opening doors. And um, here's the poem. It's, it wasn't, I wasn't, I wrote this a while ago, but I wasn't thinking about Dharma uh, doorways, but it could be applied. So this is called Open Any Door. Okay, so this is a poem. Open any door of the heart. There are so many. Enter with your fear and your friend. The door that opens with every glance or quick word or the trees in prayer. Even the shirt on your back that you don't see, the floor of old wood that you step on, doors open with them too. Then you go in, into the one world where all things have tears and kindness for you and you for them. So that sense of everything really being able to energize our practice when we, when we have the attention that is possible. There was a, um, a contemporary Chinese Zen teacher named uh, Swan Hua, the, the master Swan Hua, who was asked a question. Uh, he said, of the 80, he was asked the question, of the 84,000 Dharma doors, which is the most lofty? Which Dharma door is number one? Which is the most important? And, ah, uh, I don't know if you can hear, but right as I asked that question, my, my street is being paved outside and they started drilling about 60 feet away from me. I can probably hear it, you can't, but that's the Dharma door for me to keep attention and focused even though there's drilling. <laughs> okay, it just went off. Can you, anyone hear it? No, okay. Okay, so that's my Dharma door for now. So he answered, um, if you understand the Dharma, there is no problem. Of the 84,000 Dharma doors, 84,000 are the most lofty. 84,000 are number one. 84,000 are the most important. That's his answer. That's a kind of a Zen answer. But, uh, and so what he's saying is that they're all crucial. He said, there's not one which is, uh, there is not one which is not important. You need only apply one Dharma door, which will, will uh, become the most important. Why? Because it is useful to you. So another way of asking this, when we make it more personal, is what is your your edge of learning? What particular focus helps your practice come alive? You know, what is the, um, what can really uh, wake you up in the moment, either again in formal practice or in, in daily life practice? You know, and one of the ways that I work as a teacher is I like to try to identify with someone I'm working with what is the edge of learning, which is really calling one right now? What is really presenting in your lives as an important focus? And usually there's something that is, can be there for you. You know, I was, um, I was actually talking yesterday with a friend, and actually this discussion actually helped me to clarify what I'd be talking about. I was talking with her and she, she, uh, she's a poet and she said, when the soul wants to know something, it puts out an image and then it walks into it. And we walk into it, we follow it. 
So there kind of is an image that almost is generated by our lives or an image could be an image or could be a sense. This is my edge of learning right now. And what, you know, what I'm in the, in the talk, what I'm wanting to um, energize is our sense of what is um, most alive for us. What can be a focus so that when we remember that we remember a particular focus, our practice comes alive. You know, again, it's what I work with and with people. We try to say, okay, what feels like what's really calling you right now? And the, the idea is that if we pay attention to our own being, we'll get a sense of what the edge of learning is for the next period of time. It could be for the next month. It could be for the next year. It's really, it's really a quality of listening. It's really a quality of listening for what is calling us. And it's really interesting that uh, historically, the notion of a calling or a vocation, you know, which is, we use that word sometimes for what calls us for our life work, right? For what really is my calling or my vocation, the actual words have to do with listening for a voice, listening for a voice inside. And some of you may know that the, uh, the early work uh, word in the uh, Christian tradition, the word for church um, is ecclesia. We use that word like ecclesiastical, but the word for church is ecclesia. It means those who are called, those who have heard the call. And it presents itself as something that we listen to internally. And so a lot of this is, requires us to be quiet, to listen, to say, what is, what really is calling me for this next period that helps, that helps me to uh, get a sense of what is, what is growing right now? What is opening? And it, it could be something beautiful developing. It could be something that, you know, is now it's time for me to pay attention to this particular challenge or issue. You know, what's calling me now is to have my difficult relationship with this person, my neighbor, someone in my family, be part of my practice. That could be, that could be what's calling me. Sometimes it's something beautiful. I want to, my, my joy is calling me. I want to really emphasize joy. Sometimes joy is calling me. Sometimes being with difficulty is calling me. And so it could be, could be any of those really, really seeing uh, what there is. I think a lot of our traditions have sometimes given general models, much like that teaching of the six subtle doors from Thich Nhat Hanh. So, you know, in some teachings, we get almost like a, uh, a graduated teaching. So first do this, you know, we might say first develop a daily practice, then focus here, then focus here, then do a retreat, then bring it into daily life. So sometimes, um, you know, some approaches, there might be a kind of curriculum. But I think for purposes here, I'm really wanting just to name a number of different areas and see what resonates with you for what is really calling you. Because what I'm, what I'm going to invite, and maybe some of you are already very much working with this, but what I'll invite towards the end of the talk will be, what is alive for me? What is calling me right now? What is, what is something I want to bring to mind and remember, for example, in the next week that helps my practice be more alive? So it could be for some of us, it could be connecting with the body. I know for me, for about a four year period, my edge of learning was about being more embodied, being more present in my body and bringing that into daily life. That, you know, how many of you can relate to that one? You know, is that an important focus? We can have, I think we can have, we can have uh, sometimes one or two doorways or even three. So we can be doing a few things, but it's helpful to have a main focus. So it could be connecting with the body and bringing that into one's life more. It could be uh, connecting 
with one's heart, you know, and being more heart-centered, maybe coming from a quality of metta or love. You know, I think of uh, um, the activist Julia Butterfly Hill. She said that her way of practicing was to ask continually, is my present moment and my action coming out of love? Right? So we could connect with the body. We could connect with a sense of heart, you know, with the bringing the heart in. One of the practices that I like to do is um, a form of mudita practice where I, when I take walks around my neighborhood, I like to connect with the trees and the flowers and the bushes and wish them well. I say, may you continue to blossom. May you, may you continue to be beautiful or may you continue in this way. And it's a wonderful way to walk around a neighborhood. Try it if you haven't. You know, it's, uh, it really kind of is, it, I, it's, it's a good way to, if, especially if one's feeling a little bit down, it's definitely, it's good. I think, you know, I don't need to, I don't need to advertise it anymore. It, it's really, um, yeah, it's just a wonderful, very simple way. And I found that that kind of offering, uh, it's technically would be moody to practice or joy in the joy of others. May your happiness continue. And I, I found myself kind of curiously when I'm really getting into it and I'm walking around the neighborhood and I see a car, I also offer a mudita for the automobile. May you continue to work well. You know, it's, you know I, I don't... It's an extension of heart practice even to automobiles, which I, I haven't read about other people doing that, but I've, I've got into it. So, so we can, we can work, you know, one Dharma doorway is working with the heart and working, could work, work with the body. For some, it might be a study and understanding that could be for a period of time, a Dharma doorway. I really want to understand. I really want to, and this is really bringing me to life, especially if that quality of understanding is really significant for others. It might be, um, retreat practice and really uh, that retreats help me just go into territories I didn't know. They help me uh, come alive in certain ways. You know, for others at a certain point, and you can see that there can be kind of a sequence. We might start just with a daily practice. At some point, bringing one's practice into daily life can be an edge of learning. That's been that way for me for a number of years that, you know, really finding ways to have the practice be continually deeper, more, more going into different activities, that's been a real focus and edge of learning. So I can remember that, you know, at the beginning of a day and so forth. Um, it could be to work with a wisdom teaching. You know, you know, when I was first practicing, I think I may have mentioned this the last time I was here, when I was first practicing, uh, my first teacher was Joseph Goldstein. You know, I was living in Massachusetts and Joseph gave me like a, a good daily life practice. He said, if there's suffering, where's the grasping? And that became a daily life practice, a real edge of learning. I got really interested in looking for moments of when I was stuck, you know, what we would call suffering, uh, reactivity, you know, um, not having a good time. And then I would, um, then I would do inner inquiry. What am I holding on to? What am I grasping after? You know, it might, could be in a discussion with someone. It could be just in some, the way something is going during the day. Oh, I'm really grasping after things should have happened that way, you know, and I'm grasping and that can be a start for inquiry, looking more deeply. So we can work, you know, we can work with, um, wisdom teachings and bring in this quality of inquiry, which I mentioned last time as one of the, the factors of awakening, looking, continually looking. That could be another Dharma doorway. When something comes up, I want to really inquire. I want to really look carefully at what's happening. Can I, can I do that? Can I, can I take investigation and inquiry 
which brings about tremendous interest. Oh, in my formal meditation. Oh, look at that. I'm, I'm getting irritated about what happened yesterday. Oh, can I really inquire and investigate what's going on in my mind? You know, oh, what's there? Oh, well, I've got a particular story about what this person did. My body feels uncomfortable. Oh, there's irritation. Oh, when I stay with it, it kind of changes into sadness. Oh, look at that. So we can use, um, we can use this practice of inquiry to really um, bring our practice alive. It brings about tremendous interest, curiosity, which are really uh, wonderful for practice. You know, it could, it could be for, again, I mentioned earlier, it could be for some of us, it could be just to have one's daily practice be more regular. You know, it could be to, um, could be to have the practice more regular. It could be to um, do something like a Sabbath practice, which, which I've done most of the last 35 years of having one day a week when you do a little more practice. We do a little bit more, we might do three hours, or we might do a whole day just to really dedicate, maybe three hours, do a sitting, walking, do a little reading or listen to a talk, and then um, do another sitting. It could be something like that. So, so I think you're getting a sense of what I'm, what I'm inviting us to just listen for, for what is there. By the, by the way, my, my Dharma door at the moment is significantly, the drill is still going on. <laughs> it's, it's way louder for me than it is for you. I'm trying to keep attention. You know, let it be, not, not be resentful. Why did you have to do it at this time? Didn't you know I was giving a talk? <laughs> I didn't tell them. Anyway, but on the other side, our, our street is being paved after about 15 years of not being paved. That's good. Okay, so, so anyway, so I, so I can do some inquiry with the experience of drilling. And so what we looked at last time I was here, we looked at the seven factors of awakening, and these also give kind of Dharma doorways. So it, let's, uh, Carlito, let's put that up right now. This, this is to return to what we looked at last time. The seven factors of waking. So this is a very traditional model. These are each, in a way, Dharma doorways. That we have, um, we have the seven factors of awakening, the Bojanga, uh, the compound of uh, Bodhi, the word for awakening, or awakened mind, and Anga, which means like a factor. And then we have seven of them. Mindfulness is the first. And then there are three factors which energize. Each of these could be a Dharma doorway. Mindfulness, I'll come back to some of these in a moment. Mindfulness can be my main Dharma doorway for some time. You know, I may really want to really focus on being mindful, more carefully mindful in my formal practice and then bring it into daily life. Can I be mindful? Can I be... Um, then going on to these three energizing factors. I talked about investigation. This can be, again, very fundamental. Let me look carefully. Let me really see what's there experientially. What's there in my body when I look? You know, the third, third factor is resolve or energy. Can I really bring more energy into my practice? The fourth is joy. That these, are, these awakening factors are, are both what can sort of take us into the doorway of awakening, and they also are how we are when we go into that doorway. And then the, uh, the last three are what are called stabilizing. So we use the energizing factors when we need more energy in our practice, and we use the stabilizing factors when we may have, have a lot of energy, even restlessness, but we need a little more balance and stability. And so then we use uh, tranquility or calmness. The sixth is uh, samadhi, or usually translated as concentration, the kind of the gathering, the unification of the mind. And the last one is equanimity. So 
Again, cultivating any of these, uh, the, all seven of these are, are Dharma doorways. So we can let go of the slide now. And so I'll just come back briefly and talk about some, some further factors. So we can, again, use mindfulness, uh, use it more fully in our practice. Use it, you know, when I'm sitting, say, let me really be mindful. Let me really notice what's there. Let me really be open to whatever happens. Let me cultivate this non-reactive way of being with whatever is there. Let me strengthen my mindfulness. And that can be, that can be a Dharma doorway. You know, um, you know and I'll, I'll say um, you know, a little bit more about the others. Again, with investigation, we can, we can really, really use that. Um, going to some of the others, I think I mentioned one of them that was listed in Thich Nhat Hans list, concentration. That can be a Dharma doorway. I had a period of time for about three years when I was focused on bringing greater stability to my mind. And it really was important. That was calling me, you know, and can I have greater stability? So I'll just mention a few others um, that, that are there. Um, something which also might call us could be called care or service or, you know, bringing... Um, Letting our practice be more grounded in ethics. These, these are kind of related. So I might say that my, my edge right now is to bring care, maybe care, love, kindness into everyone I'm with. We might do that through our actions. We might do that through our speech. Focusing on how I speak with others, even how I speak with myself, can be a Dharma doorway, right? It can be a focus. Again, I'm naming. I, I've been practicing for, for 45 years, so I've had a lot of Dharma doorways, right? And speech has been a, a doorway. You know, I've taught it for about 15 years in retreats, and being careful with speaking is a beautiful Dharma doorway. We can say, let me focus on care and speaking when I'm with others. Let me emphasize kindness and care in my relationships, or it may be that I'm drawn to focus on, on service, you know, and uh, my, even my action in the world. You know, this call may call a lot of us right now. This might be the, ed, you know, bringing my Dharma practice into climate activism, right? As, as was mentioned, I think, by Nancy in the, in the sharing. You know, um, I'm one of those who believes that the fate of the human species is going to be decided by what we do in the next 10 years. You may, you may agree with that, and that may really call you. They say, my Dharma practice has to be out in the world. You know, again, it's not either or, you know, but that may be, that may be a calling, you know, to, um, to, uh, respond to the needs of the world or to help, uh, you know, or to help others. Um, and so there are different, yeah, there are different expressions of this. So I want to, in the last part, just invite us again to um, start having a sense of, it really is this quality of listening. Actually, if I don't know if you can see, right behind me, right here, I have a Tibetan image of uh, Milarepa. And can you see that he has his hand? He's listening. This is his practice. He's listening to the sounds of the world. Much like some of you know Kuan Yin, the, the Bodhisattva of compassion, who listens to the cries of the world. So there's something about listening for our own calling, for our, the voice inside that says, this is my direction. This is where I go for the next period of time. Really, really really crucial. And so I, I think, you know, in, in doing this, I think dreams can be important. Images can be important. Um, you know, the, the French writer uh, Albert Camus uh, said, it's very important to remember the, the first one or two images that we had in our lives that helped our hearts to open. 
What are the what helped our hearts to open for the first time? What helps us move into a different way of being? You know, what what helps again, what helps us come come more alive? And so I think I'll close and we can open it up for a discussion with uh, one story and then I'll, I'll read my poem again. And the story is from the um, teacher and writer and activist Howard Thurman, um, one of the great um, one of the great mystics. He, he combined mystics, mysticism, and activism. He taught for a large number of years at, I think he taught at Howard University and also at Boston University, African-American activist, theologian, mystic. And he moved out to the San Francisco Bay Area in I believe the 1940s. And he helped set up one of the first uh, truly interracial churches in the Bay Area. And towards the end of his life, he died in 1980 he was talking to a young man, and the young man was asking him, what should I do? Anyone ever asked that question? What should I do? What should I do with my practice? What should I do with my life? Tell me. And here, here's Howard Thurman's answer. And remember, this is coming from an activist. He says, don't ask what the world needs. Rather, ask what makes you come alive, because what the world needs is people who have come alive. Right? So that's what we're looking for. That's what I'm inviting with this emphasis on the Dharma doorways. And we don't have to really answer in a big way. All we need to do is, what is my Dharma doorway for the next week? <laughs> don't need to answer it for your whole life. That's too big a question. We want to answer the question in a small way. What is my Dharma doorway for the next week? So take a moment right now and see what comes to you. What, what, is, a, you know, what is one emphasis? Could be any of the ones I've mentioned. What is one emphasis in my practice? Could be just doing daily life practice every day or could be a particular focus. What will help my practice come more alive for the next week. Take about a minute. And then I'll close with the, uh, the poem again, Open Any Door. Open any door of the heart, there are so many. Enter with your fear and your friend, the door that opens with every glance or quick word, or the trees in prayer. Even the shirt on your back that you don't see, the floor of old wood that you step on, doors open with them too. Then you go in, into the one world where all things have tears and kindness for you and you for them. Let's take a moment just to sit quietly. We have some time now for sharing, could be to share a story of a 
you know, of a Dharma door or Dharma doorway which works for you. It could be to ask a question. And I, I talked actually quite a bit less than I usually do. So we have a lot of time for talking. And the drill is no longer drilling. Okay. <laughs> so you can use the uh, best if you can use the raised hand function. If you want to, yeah, I mean, I think it'd be really fascinating to share stories of what's, you know, what's been alive for me in my, you know, in my own um, practice. What helps my practice come alive? Uh, uh, Jamie, please. And then Tom. Hi. <laughs> yeah. Hmm. Okay. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, Jamie. Um, yeah, very, yeah, very, very parallel to the themes we've, that I explored, right? Very, very interesting. And just a, f a few thoughts on also on what you were saying that, you know, in terms of shifting from, you know, uh, maybe bringing your, having your practice get a little bit uh, longer, right? that um, I think um, we want to have a sense of what's alive and what's next. And we want to also have uh, a sense that it's not just an idea, but it's realistic, right? And, and so I, I'm not, uh, and so, so we, when we have that, oh, I, I want to sit a little bit longer. And then it would be to ask the question, okay, what's realistic? And then also, it also helps to say, let me make a commitment to do this for the next week. Because if I want to establish a new pattern, it usually helps to make a commitment, not indefinitely, I will do this, right? But rather to actually say, for one week, as the phrase goes, come hell or high water, I will sit whatever. You know, I will sit half an hour or whatever it is. And, and, First assess that it's realistic and then make a one-week commitment, not a lifetime commitment, and then really do it for a week. And then the, um, the neural pathways have been established <laughs> for the new, the new pattern or habit. So that's generally good for a lot of what we're talking about. But thank you so much for the poem. It's, it's a little bit uncanny how much it echoed the uh, theme. A lot of the same words, calling and and so forth, that really going in the same direction, right? Yeah, so thanks so much.
Okay, Tom, please. Yeah. Yeah. That sounds great. Yeah, I mean, um, yeah, uh, pausing is one of the most underrated spiritual practices of all time. Uh, <laughs> and incredibly effective, right? Right. Uh, um, Sylvia, Sylvia has a, a spiritual practice, which is very important for her, uh, which is called, um, like when she has an important decision to make or some, you know, something to respond to. I think, what, how does she phrase it? It's, it's more or less just wait a little while. <laughs> Let it sit, right? Just a very, a very, uh, gosh, if, if many of us took that as our Dharma doorway, pause, just, you know, don't respond right away. That, that's powerful. Not easy, right? Because we're all get caught up with everything. But write, write, you know, write pause on your refrigerator <laughs> or have a, a poster that just says pause, you know, <laughs> or something like that. And then, and then the you know the other piece of it is um, that that will go a long way because the pausing helps the speaking be less automatic. And and then in the interim you can use your mindfulness you know just on an ongoing basis as we all can to to see our patterns right. What are my patterns? You know when someone says something I don't like I do I go do right back like that or. What do I, you know, do I just do that? Look at the patterns. And um, so that's a powerful practice. But the pausing is a great, even, maybe it's even simpler just to say, in the next week, I will just uh, emphasize pausing. It's great. Thank you. Yeah. Let's see, please. Looks like uh, uh, Rich, please. And then Anna. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Hmm. Oh, well. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Well, thank thank you for being willing, really, to share with with uh, with the vulnerability and sharing that it's a difficult time now. I really I really appreciate that, and um, yeah, and yeah, I'm sorry it's hard now. Um, maybe we could rephrase the question. So it's not what helps my practice come alive, but simply what helps right now. Let me rephrase it like that. What helps given where I'm at? What, what's helpful?
So it doesn't have to get you to a particular state. That, that's the danger of me framing this in terms of what helps, helps you come alive or helps your practice come alive. But really, given a difficult situation, what, uh, what helps move me in a, in a good direction? At least move me in the direction. It doesn't necessarily get me to, you know, feel real great, but what helps? Does anything come to mind? For connection, right? Yeah. 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 Right, right. And yeah, I think, um, yeah, maybe, uh, maybe you can ask the question, how many people uh, can connect some with what Rich is saying in your own life? Okay, Rich, look, look around now. That, that's important. You know, that this, um, and I think, I think what, uh, what I heard is actually a beautiful answer to the question, because what we want is just a little bit of direction, and you said connection. And so that can, that can really, and you've, you've done that right now, despite the fact that there are difficult emotions, right? You've acted toward connection. You could have just been silent, right? And so you did that, and so that can, you know, so the, uh, maybe another way to frame it would be, what are other ways that you in the next week can, um, can connect? You know, maybe not, not in person, but uh, whatever, Zoom or telephone or, you know, uh, some other way. Um, and because I think that's, um, that's, that, that's, that sounds like a, a very appropriate answer. You know, and then, um, I don't know, you, you mentioned the, the phrase dark night of the soul, which, you know, I, I've actually taught on. Uh, yeah, I don't know if you know that I've, I've done uh, we've done some events at Spirit Rock on that theme, and it's um, you know, it's I don't know the the framing could be helpful because it it actually the dark night is a very difficult time, but it actually opens up to to um, uh, to uh, significant gifts and 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 um, insights. So, um, you know, there's, there's some good writing on that. I, I, you could probably look, I don't know if my, you know, if you, if you communicate with me through my uh, website on my email, I have an email function, I can maybe send you the links to some of those recordings, you know, on, on the, uh, on the dark night, because that, that can be helpful to, cause to frame it. You know, it's a difficult time, but it's actually uh, just keep, I would say, just keep looking for what is calling. And right now, you came up with it, it's connection. That can be your, your North Star for the next week. Thank, thank you. Thanks, Rich. Thanks again for being willing to, to share from, from a lot of vulnerability. It's, it's actually a gift to other people. And I think probably you may not completely feel it, but I think other people probably feel quite connected with you. So thank you. Okay, thank you. Thank you. Hi, Anna.
Yeah, and can you can you can you again say what is the content of the fear? Financial, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And so that's a hard one. Uh Yeah. And again, how many how many can relate in some ways to having financial challenges? Again, it's uh, so look around, Anna. I think that's that's important. Um, yeah. Um, let's see. Do do you feel like, or maybe I'll back up. Did did you have a sense of what what your own uh, dharma door is for the next week? Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. That's that sounds great. In in a way, um, you might it, when the fear is there a lot. You might work almost like with three dharma doorways, and I think you named uh, two of them. Uh, one is to work for more stability of mind, uh, not you know not trying too hard, but more stability of mind, settling, concentration. I think that's going to be helpful. Uh, and then to yeah to uh, when there's fear, uh, going to joy is wonderful. So that can be a regular regular assignment every day. You know at least. Um, 15 or 30 minutes, that brings joy. Maybe more. But, and that can be your practice. And you can, uh, I don't know, uh, you can walk around uh, uh, your neighborhood in Berlin. If it's not too cold. And, uh, but you can, you can uh, wish the, I know you can do my practice, wish the plants well in the winter. Uh, but but you know it could be music or dancing or or whatever. But to bring joy in, and then uh, the third is it really is helped by the concentration, would be to actually um, be with the fear, use your mindfulness to be, be with the fear when it comes up. And in meditation, you can be with it when it comes up. And it's also possible sometimes if if you feel pretty stable to deliberately invite the fear to be there. You know, and then then you want to actually stay with it. What's it like in the body? What's the storyline? Because we want to just really keep on studying fear. You know, we want to keep on studying fear. I actually have a, a poster. Maybe I can bring it next time. I have a little poster in another room, which comes from the uh, Bread and Puppet Theater. Uh, from Vermont, founded by actually someone from Germany. Um, and it's a beautiful, you can look it up, maybe even find it, but it's, um, um, the poster is from a production they did. It's called The One, and you can probably find this on the internet these days, The One Who Set Out to Study Fear. The One Who Set Out to Study Fear. And there's a, I have a poster just about six feet from here in this other room. And so studying fear is a powerful practice. And it means, uh, but you have to be pretty stable. And the fear kind of has to be uh, somewhat workable, not the most intense, maybe on scale of one to 10, not too much, not a nine or a 10. That's kind of too much. But maybe 
a lot of the fear comes up just as thoughts. That can be in the five or six or seven range. And then you say, okay, what's the body like? Uh, what's, what's my storyline? Stay with it. And then let me just be with the fear and study it. And if you want, I, ha I have some talks on Dharma Seed about practicing with fear. That are, that you should, if you just use, yeah, you can search for fear, so to speak. <laughs> yeah, you can find them. And, um, cause I, uh, some of it came, I had one retreat where I was, had fear for almost like, uh, 10 days in a row, almost all the time. But it was, it was workable. It wasn't too much. And I studied it and it was amazing to study. And you could, you could see, oh, it's all about the future. Fear is entirely about the future. That's really good to see. It's not about when you're in the present moment, there's not fear. Very interesting. So keep studying it. And then, of course, there may be things you can maybe, the fourth thing would be, you know, maybe there's some concrete things that were helpful to do. You know, but those, those would be the three things I would say, because mostly it helps you to be more balanced with the situation. You know, a lot of us have financial challenges, not to say that they will go away, but how can I respond in a balanced, centered place? That's what we're looking for. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. So that's where we want to have it in. If it's in the workable range, you should be able to do that. When it's too much, I think you can pull back maybe. Yeah. That's, yeah. So it's, so again, thank you also for being willing to share that. It's very, it's very precious and yeah, and and uh, say say hi to Berlin. I lived there one summer. I think did I tell you that? Yeah, I lived there one summer when I was a student, and yeah, so it was very different. It was still, it still when I was a student, it still had East Berlin. So, and I, I think I told the story. I was studying uh, studying German, and. Uh, I went to I went to East Berlin a number of times, and I remember getting interrogated for one hour, and they looked very carefully at my German grammar book. For like, yeah, for one hour it was it was a little bit crazy, and yeah, but it was it was fun. I remember going to uh, one of my best times there. I went to a rock concert in East Berlin before the before the wall came down. That was very interesting. Yeah. Okay, so thank you, Anna, and um, thank you, uh, thank you, Carlita, for all your support. We'll give a bow to Carlita. Thank you, and um, let's finish with uh, again. Uh, we'll finish two, in two ways. First is to again uh, set your intention for the next week. What is your what is your Dharma doorway? It could be possibly more than one, but if there is one, what is your your Dharma doorway, your edge of learning for the next week. Just sit with that for 30 seconds, 40 seconds. And then we, we finish with the dedication of merit. May our time together be beneficial to each of us in our practice. And then may we also have this larger perspective of interconnection and know that we are part of all beings, and we offer the benefits of our time together to all beings, knowing that this includes us.
And thank you to everyone who, who shared um, sometimes difficult experiences. Very much appreciated. So thank you everyone, and the drilling has stopped. <laughs> okay, you, if you want to unmute and say goodbye, feel free. Okay, bye-bye, I'll do my official bye. Okay, bye-bye. Yeah, till next time. Thank you, Carlita. Yeah, thank you.